Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Christy Prague. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. Good morning. Jimmy, that was amazing. Where are you, Jimmy? Where'd you go? Am I missing him? Oh, there you are. That was awesome. The guy on the couch. I love that that was recorded Saturday afternoon, and you're hearing it live because God is not deemed and risen by time. So that's that's wonderful. Um, just want to reiterate something I, I had said in announcements last week. We're going to do a, a daddy-daughter dance here. Um, and, the, you know, the, the cool thing is that during this last week, I've had a bunch of dads that are so excited to be able to bring their daughters and, and dance together. And, and um, it's February, Friday, February 18th. Uh, I, I just think it's going to be a special time. I think the Lord's in this. Uh, and this kind of all started with one of Nathan's kids who kept saying, Dad, schedule a daughter daddy dance and it was as he said to me he said she asks almost every day I just think that's awesome she she wants to dance with her daddy now not being a little girl I don't know what that was like but I had three daughters that wanted to dance with their daddy some of their favorite times were, whether it's in church or whether it was home around the living room, dancing with mom and dad. Um, there's, there's something tangible that I think is imparted to a child when they have that kind of joy and that kind of interaction with a parent. So I just want to encourage you, uh, dads and moms, grab your kids at the most weird time. Even when they, their eyes roll, and they say, stop. What they don't want you to do is stop. They really want to be danced with. Um, I'm going to probably dance with Tom later. Just just because, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> don't know where that came from, but that's okay. Um, I think one of the great, great quotes of the morning is, I felt like a garbage truck. Was that a great quote? I felt like, I mean, that is so descriptive. I felt like a garbage truck. Um, I just, I wrote it down. <laughs> and uh, we were singing this, this song this morning, Your Love Endures Forever. Um, it's, that, that's one of my favorite worship songs. We, we only did the chorus, um, but the rest of it is just, it's just beautiful. And Major, you're awesome. You're not even hearing me, are you? You are, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can we give him a nice round? He's awesome. So years ago, there was another song um, that, was, that was written, Your Love Endures Forever. This particular one version came in the late 90s. Uh, maybe 2000, somewhere in there. I just remember doing it during that time. 
And, but there was a song in the, in the 70s that came out that had to do with your love endures forever. And there was a pastor, a friend of mine, uh, he had been my pastor before he wasn't <clears throat> at, at the time, but um, he didn't want that song to be sung in church. And we were kind of all confused as to why would you not want a song uh, that, that speaks about the Lord's love endures forever is because he heard it wrong. He thought it was a song about love indoors. I'm absolutely serious. I'm not, I'm not trying to make a bad dad joke. He, he banned the song and none of us knew why. And then when we finally went to him, we said, this is absolutely biblical and scriptural. He goes, I don't think so. I don't want to sing about love indoors. And we said, what? He said, love indoors. And the, you could, uh, I, the person that wrote the song um, had, was one of the largest laughs I'd ever seen in my life. But uh, <clears throat> you had to be there, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> love indoors. Um, never mind. We'll move on. Y'all doing okay? Good. I'm glad. Oh, this is a weird time in history. Um, this, uh, anybody having a, a weird time in life right now, by the way? Tony, during worship, I felt the Lord was all over and around you. You know, he's whispering his affection in your ear. So there you go, but for what that's worth. But I just I saw him come come like around you like a like a bigger person bending down and just whispering his affection in your ear. So awesome. Um, <clears throat> Isaiah forty nine two says this. He's made my mouth like a sharp sword. Uh, <laughs> some people I wish that the sharp sword would. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm getting to another part of the scripture, and I just find that just that line just hit me. Um, Isaiah, wow, I I wonder what he was like. Um, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me like a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. <clears throat> um, how many hunters in here? How many people hunt? Raise your hand up high. I know Tom. Okay. Two people on this side. Okay. Okay. There we go. How many hunt with bows? How many? Okay. I used to hunt my brother with a bow. <laughs> uh, yeah, there we go. Um, <clears throat> I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, we were a year apart, and uh, I loved, hated, I loved him. And... Uh, <clears throat> Bows are interesting things because uh, there's different kinds of bows. There's, uh, it, it, when, you, when you look at them, the, the uniqueness of, of the different form, there's, I think there's a gentleman here, I think I talked to, who, who uses a bow, but the, not, not a compound, just a very simple. Is, this, is there somebody here that does that? I, yes, uh, Ed, that's right. So what, what's the name? Just shout it out. What, what, what's it called? Pre-curve? Recurve. Okay. And there's nothing special to it. Yeah. You, I remember you describing that one time to me. I just thought, wow, that, I could probably pull that one back. Um, I don't know about the others. 
Nathan, it's so good to see you. We love you. Adrian, we love you too. <laughs> I know you're trying, trying to hide over there. <laughs> eh, doesn't work. <laughs> um, but you can't, you can't kill anything with a bow. You have to use an arrow. Um, and it says here, he's made me like a polished shaft in his quiver. He's hidden me. So I, I have uh, my cousins um, were rabbit hunters. They made their own uh, ammunition. They made their own, um, well, they did make bows, but they made their own arrows. And I just remember the process. And I, I kind of wrote it down. Then I went in to see, okay, let's see what I knew from before, from what really is. So this is the process of making of an arrow. You pick a green shaft. It needs to be at least two years old. New shafts are usually much weaker. thought that was interesting. After cutting it, scrape off the outside bark. Depending on the wood or the bend, it may need to be placed in water before a straightening process. Tie newer shafts around a larger straight dowel and then wait. Oh, we hate waiting. I remember when, uh, what was that little thing you put in the toaster? Um, Pop-Tart. I'm old enough to remember when Pop-Tarts came out. I thought they were the world's greatest thing because you had an entire meal in one minute. Now, you got to remember when you're 10 years old, that's an entire meal. So the only bad part about the Pop-Tart is if you touch the icing afterwards, you have a Pop-Tart burn. But in school, a Pop-Tart burn is a big thing. It's a cool thing. <clears throat> so you wait. When it's straight, you scrape off the next layer, which is called the cambium layer. If there's a knot, that's okay. Scrape it down until it's level. Knots add character, and they're usually the strongest part of the arrow. You cut to length, and then put an end notch in carefully. You stain design as desired, and then the last thing is you feather it. And then you put that beautiful finished product in your quiver. He's made me a polished shaft in his quiver, he's hidden me. God sees me as one of his arrows. He may be because he wants to use me. And that's such a great thing. He'll be so happy. I remember when I got saved and 19 years old. <clears throat> and I heard someone say, God is so happy he made me. I just thought, well, they know God's love. But then I realized what they were saying was they were convinced that they were so gifted that God would be so happy that they got saved so that this person could do such great things in his kingdom. <clears throat> and then, I didn't know it at the time, but God took that beautiful polished shaft, <laughs> lifted it up, and set it right in his quiver. And I watched God put this man, young man at the time, I watched him put this man in the quiver. And he didn't like it. He was removed from a position uh, because he didn't work well with people. And I, I guess he wasn't as polished as he thought he was. Uh, he was gifted. Um, I mean, a lot of gifted people. But a lot of gifted people end up in a quiver. You know, and, and suddenly you're like, oh, I've been made. I've been polished. I'm beautiful. I'm, and what are you doing with me? Yes, yes, yes. You want to fire me? God, you are going to be so glad that I am your arrow. What's going on? Why am I going back upside down? Why am I going to? Oh, it's dark. Why is it dark? 
And then you'll suddenly hear, hi, <laughs> who are you? Huh? John, John Arrow. What are you doing? Just hanging out. Are you, is it fun being an arrow, being used? I don't know. How long have you been in there? Five years. Five years. God, I'm your man. I know the world needs me. <clears throat> Why would God through, go through so much to make us, gift us, get us ready, polish us, and then shelve us? Because if, if God's the one that did all the upfront stuff, it's not always the devil that shelves us. Do you understand? That the maker of the arrow is usually the one that puts it in the dark. Well, then I'm done. <laughs> Some of you are going, yes, the shortest service we've ever had. <laughs> I just talked to so many people who, okay, can we talk? Okay. How many have a word that maybe it's not a prophetic word, but it's a word that you're sure it's God, that you're going to do something and it's going to have an impact, but you haven't even started doing it yet. Raise your hand. Oh, come on. Come on. Raise your hand. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. <clears throat> I, I question sometimes, why? Why, God? I'm the man for the time. And he seems to disagree with me on a regular basis about that. Um, I think, I'll just, just say this. <clears throat> I think... The sedu seduction of success has brought more people down than the waiting in the dark. <clears throat> We're gifted and we connect our gift to great purpose. I've talked to so many people, uh, this is really true, I've talked to so many people who have gotten a prophetic word or something other. One would be, there'll be millions of dollars that go through your hands. Awesome. So I'm going to be a millionaire. That's not what the word said. <laughs> okay? But we, when we interpret something incorrectly, then we take upon a wrong interpretation. Therefore, we have a wrong lifestyle connected to a word. So if you think this about a word. <clears throat> I, I love looking at the, the life of Joseph um, because it's, it's such an example to me. Joseph and David, they're just, they're just two guys that, that are, are some of the most gifted, intelligent, incredible men in Scripture and probably in the world, and they did some of the stupidest things. Um, fortunately, Joseph's stupidity was on the, on the front end. Um, his father didn't help. You know, his father of all the brothers, his father makes a coat of many colors, gives it to Joseph, and, and makes it known that he's the most beloved. Now, it's one thing if you got a brother or a sister, but when you got 11 brothers 
and you highlight one, that, that doesn't bode well. I have a friend of mine um, <clears throat> growing up, actually a number of friends, because they were all in classes, in my class and other classes, they had 16 kids, 14 boys, two girls. The youngest one was a girl, and the second oldest was a girl, or the second mom, as she was known. <clears throat> 14 boys, they were all great athletes and all competitive. Can you imagine what that house was like? Oh, my gosh. I remember going there for dinner, and, and there were two large picnic tables. One, <laughs> they had two dining rooms, each with a huge picnic table, and then the kitchen table, which held a half a dozen people. <clears throat> I just remember the mother um, asking her what, what it was like to cook for this brood, because they were farmers, and got up early and went out and worked all day on, on, on the land. And she said her life was about cooking. That was it. I give birth and I cook. It's just, just a beautiful lady. I give birth and I cook. Neither of which I'm gifted at, actually. Um, <clears throat> um, <laughs> come to find out, I didn't, you know, you, you learn things as you grow. Um, <clears throat> so... <laughs> Yes, scripture says his father loved him among, among all his sons. Joseph had two dreams, and both dreams were of ruling and of his greatness over his others, over his brothers as well. Um, and again, that didn't go well. So in Genesis 37, he sold into slavery. We know the story. Uh, it didn't take long from the first time that Joseph says, in Genesis 37, he says, I have these two dreams. Genesis 38, he sold. <laughs> That's it. It doesn't take long. So I, I, I imagine the brothers had a very, you know, sweet little talk. He sold to the Midians, and the Midians sell him to Potiphar. He's twice sold. Genesis 39, um, <clears throat> he becomes Potiphar's right-hand man. And we know the story with the wife. By this time, Joseph had left his foolish nature, and Joseph becomes, in a, in a time, now he's got two dreams from God. That he's going to rule. And his life goes down, his brothers, then the Midianites sell him, and then he's sold again to Potiphar. Now that's about as low as it can get. And it's got to be, okay, Lord, I'm with Potiphar, and he's, he's an important man. He's a governmental man, by the way. He's a governmental man. And then his wife accuses uh, Joseph, and then he goes down even lower into a government prison. Now, it's not the normal prison of the day. There's, there's, there, there would be two kinds of prison. One would be those that, that, you know, someone stole, someone did whatever, but they're not connected governmentally. This particular one, it's connected because of Potiphar. He ends up going to a governmental jail, which makes all the difference in the world. Sometimes you don't know the position that God put you that appears lower is actually the perfect position to get you out. I've been in situations and see people get in situations that seemed like they took a, a step down, but the person that they're now connected to becomes the person that God uses to raise them up. And sometimes if we do things ourselves, the people that were around, they see the striving, they see something, and the movement forward stops because of our own striving and our own desire to become greater, to do something great. So <clears throat> he becomes slave uh, in prison. Now he's sold into prison, and he, soon, it, it, you know, in, in uh, verse 
39, or Genesis 39, verse 20, listen to this. Joseph is sold into prison. Verse 21, Joseph becomes chief of all the prisoners. <laughs> it didn't take long. It didn't take long for him to go down, but it, here's what it is. It doesn't take long for, and the reason why I'm pointing out the, the time thing here is that by this time, Joseph learned what it was like to be in the quiver. He was a polished shaft. Oh, man. He was raring and ready to go. He had promises from God, but he keeps going lower and lower in the quiver. <clears throat> but there's something about, about Joseph that he didn't fight the darkness. He didn't fight. Each time he found God in it and then excelled. Some of us, we get, we get so upset at the timing and things of God that we, we, instead of excelling, we sulk. We pull back. And God can't use us because our gifting's not being used. It's your gift. God's gift. Man, there's room for him. God makes room for a gifting of a man. But when a man, woman, pulls back their gifting because of dissatisfaction, because of, you know, our heart is sick. And so I, the scripture says that's going to happen. It's going to make my heart sick. So I'm going to just let myself live in sickness. That's foolish. Your heart may be sick, and I'm sure Joseph's heart was sick, but he was not going to allow himself and his gifting to be overshadowed by the sickness of his heart. Now, I'm, I'm, that's not an easy saying. That's not an easy thing. When your heart feels sick, it is hard to move forward. But there's something in the life of Joseph, there's something that he's learned <clears throat> that in whatever situation he will find himself in, he will find God and that becomes the strength of his life. Some people are empowered by sickness. Some people live in sickness their, their life. Years, years go by. And they keep going back to a situation that people have talked through and forgiven. But they've never let it go. So it always stays with them. And at some point in time, it comes back, makes their heart sick again. Now, you do that with a half a dozen, a dozen different things, you will be living in sickness. In the gifting that God gave you, it's, it's never going to come forth. Got quiet. Sorry. <coughs> Butler and a baker come by, and Joseph interprets uh, their dreams. And uh, this is where the time that you go that, that wow, that, wouldn't that be great to get a word like that and have Joseph interpret it? Can you imagine Joseph, what does the dream mean? Well, <clears throat> you're going to be restored in three days. And sure enough, three days later, the butler is restored. And then the baker goes, yeah, what about my dream? What's going to happen in three days? <coughs> Joseph says, the three baskets that you've seen are three days. Within three days, and he goes, yeah, Pharaoh will lift off your head. Hang it from the tree and the birds will eat all the flesh off. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Excuse me? Could you give that word again? Yes. Your head will be chopped off. You'll be put on a post. Birds will come and devour the flesh of your face. Okay. <clears throat> That's what happened. <clears throat> now, I don't think God's in the business now of, you know, 
How many have a prophetic word that God, that your, your head's going to get chopped off? Does, does anybody have a prophetic word? I don't think so. I, I don't think he's in the business of that. It's for encouragement. It's <laughs> Read 1 Corinthians. Um, <clears throat> I don't see anything about chopping of heads. But holding on in the midst of the quiver, holding on when a promise has not yet been fulfilled... It's just not an easy process. <clears throat> he's, Joseph, he's expecting to get out, and the butler promises to talk to Pharaoh about him. And then there's no, there's no talk. Two years goes by. And finally, the butler goes, oh. <laughs> you know, the Pharaoh's got a dream, and oh, I know who can interpret that. This guy, Joseph. Now, there would be no connection to the Pharaoh if it was not a government prison. There never would have been that connection. He would have rotted over here. He would have done well. I'm sure he would be, one verse later, in charge of the prisoners. And he would have stayed there his whole life. But God set him up. In the appearance of something decreasing, God set him up for the greatest increase that probably a man has ever had. In terms of where he was to what he became instantly. <clears throat> and it's a God setup. I, I don't know what your quiver looks like. I don't know what that time looks like. Things that get promised about your relationship with your spouse. Things that are promised over your children. And you look and you go, I, I don't see that happening. Has anybody been there? Any parent ever been there that, that you're going, you got this little word and you're praying over that little baby and you're just, God's sharing you things. And people are, oh, give me the baby. I got a word for them. Yes, they will become the richest person in the world. <laughs> the yeah, you hear these different words that come. And you go, yes, yes. And then now they're 14 and they're idiots. <laughs> they, they hate you and everything about you. <clears throat> and and when, you, when you say, well, the Lord, don't talk to me about God. And you go, I want my baby back. <laughs> and then something happens. They're on the couch at home. <laughs> and God shows up. And, you know, God's a whole lot better at explaining himself than we are. And suddenly, I, I had this happen in my, in my life when one of my daughters came back, and first to my wife and then to me, and, and it was... To her, it was, Mom, Just God's been showing me stuff about my heart, and I'm so sorry for anything I've ever said and done. Anything that I ever hurt you, I am so sorry. I love you. And, of course, my wife, being the hard person that she is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you know my wife, she's a total sweetheart. She just, oh, babe, tears flowed, hugs came. It was, it was genuine. It was sweet. And, and now that was, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. They talk almost every day on the phone. They'll call, hi, Mom, how you doing? Good. What are you doing? I'm just driving to Target. I just wanted to call. I've got a few minutes. I thought I'd talk to you. Oh. There's, there's restoration coming, folks. David is anointed early in his life. He finds great favor with King Saul. 
Uh, Saul becomes jealous. I, I love this, this story. If you know the story, uh, I'm not going to go into it too much, but David, David comes in, he's actually really young when he comes into this world, and with, with, with Saul. Saul is king. <clears throat> David is young, ruddy, very handsome, and when they go out together in their first sortie and their first battle together, um, there's great success. I mean, it's, it's tremendous. You just read the story. It's amazing. So much so that they call them the daughters of Israel, the daughters of Jerusalem. That, and they, they, they're lining the roads, singing songs as they're going by. Can you imagine that? There's just all these ladies out there singing songs, great songs to, to the, the, the king and to this young man. But this is how the song goes. All the women were singing, Saul has killed his thousands. Oh. Imagine Saul's riding along. Saul has killed his thousands. And he's hearing this, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. That's me. And then suddenly the next line is, and David killed his ten thousands. Excuse me? What was that? David killed ten thousands. Yes, but I killed thousands. Yeah, but David killed ten thousand. You're good, but he's better. And Saul doesn't like that. And at that point in time, Everything in Saul's life is about turning against David. He tries to kill him, throws a spear at him, tries to set him up for death. David goes on what are called his Adullamirs. I've had Adullamirs. Adullamirs were a series of caves in Israel um, that were hidden away. People would hide there. People would, uh, if you wanted to kind of get away from the law, if you'd done something, you'd head to the Adullam caves. Um, <clears throat> and they're not the most romantic place, though, People talk about them as being romantic, but if you've ever seen the Adullam Caves, it would be a horrible place to hang out. But David has to hang out there. He's get, he gets these unbelievable promises from Samuel. He's going to be, he knows he's going to become king. He's going to become king over all Israel, but Saul is still in his place. So a lot of people, they think this, that the downfall of Saul after, <clears throat> after his his mis-sacrifice after his trying to kill David, after his own horrendous lifestyle. Saul, Saul's uh, king, king time as king will come to an end probably quickly. We want that sometimes in politics. Sometimes. We think that such and such should end quickly. Hopefully that won't be... I remember years ago, there was a this true story. You, nobody knows who this is, but there was a pastor. And I, I had left the church with a singing group. We, went, we, went, we were you know, g- going around, and, and I, I remember people saying that this pastor was doing some stuff that was wrong. And they were saying, uh, if, if God would just take him and put somebody else in. I'm serious. Believers, I wish God would take him. Basically, what, that, that's a nice, that's a Christian way of saying, I hope he dies soon. What a horrible kind of curse to put on someone. What a horrible thing to say. I hope they die soon. We live in that political world right now. We've been there for a long time. I mean, I've been around a while. I remember things they said about Richard Nixon. I wasn't saved in, in his early days. 
I just remember the horrible things that people said. And I remember then getting saved, and he was, he was still present at that time. And it was 73 when I was saved, and he left in 74. And I remember the things said about him in church about him during that time. And I just sat there going, this can't be right. That's not God. That's not God's heart. That's horrible. It's horrible. The things I hear now are horrible. I don't like a lot of things. I, and politically, I, I, I am, my heart is very active. If you look at social media, I have people saying, why don't you go there politically? Why don't you say the things that you want to say? Because <clears throat> that's not what my, my platform is. God told me years ago, I asked him, said, Lord, what is my life about? What's my life about? And he said, I want you in everything that you do to express the affection I have for my people. That's it. Once you know what you're supposed to do, then you know what you're not supposed to do. <clears throat> I don't fill that world up with, I, I let others do that. I'll throw stuff over to my wife and say, yeah, post that puppy there. <laughs> anyway. David goes on the run. His God, God's quiver. I mean, David was the, the ultimate God's quiver. Um, well, maybe he's not. But here's the funny thing, going back to, to Saul. Saul was king for 40 years. The things that happened with Saul uh, and David were the beginning of his reign. And he stayed king for 40 years. You want them out? They should be out. They should die. God should take him. God should, he, he, he should be killed. That's a kingdom thing. God, don't you think? And God keeps him in for 40 years, which means David is not in for 40 years. But he's got the call of God on his life, but he's not there. Wow. <clears throat> but I think the ultimate one, you have the son of God who leaves the right hand of the father, comes to earth, grows up as a little baby and is taken into the synagogues as a little boy and has to listen to Pharisees talk about his father. Week after week after week after week, he has to listen to Pharisees talk falsely about what the nature of God is like. And he has to sit there because it's not his time. God set him in a quiver and said, not till 30. So he's got to keep his mouth shut. And there he is, whippersnapper, 16-year-old, who has been with God forever and is God, has to listen to someone who, who has never actually known God, but just has religion, speak about this father that he loves so much. Oh, that would be a tough one. I, I, I couldn't do it. I guess that's probably why I'm not God. Could be other reasons. <clears throat> so I want to say hiddenness is a blessing. Ah, no, it's not, Chris. Yes, can I just say, I, th I think moments of hiddenness are a blessing from God. I know for me, had I stepped into some of the things God called me early on, I probably would have disqualified myself early on. We were deciding whether we were going to move in 1991. We were praying about moving from Rochester, New York, 
to either Kansas City, Missouri, or uh, Lockport, New York, which is near Niagara Falls. I was invited to come and pastor a church in Lockport, New York, and then we were praying about Kansas City. <clears throat> we were like, Lord, you know, how, how far west should we go? Do we go an hour and a half, or do we go 18 hours? What, what do you want with us? What do you want for us? And we're praying about it. <clears throat> and I just, we decided, let's go to Kansas City and just walk the land, pray. So we had one couple that we knew and said, hey, come stay with us. And so I got there and I stayed with them. And that night I had a dream. And I had worked five years. I was, I was a scrub nurse for five years. Loved it. Loved working in the OR. Um, <clears throat> thought about actually becoming a... Uh, <clears throat> uh, going in further into, into, into surgery, uh, but I, I didn't end up becoming a pastor. Instead, it's still hard at surgery, I guess. And, and so I had, this, I had a dream the first night I was there. And in the dream, I was in what was called the local room. We had 12 operating rooms. Two of them were local. All the others were done under general anesthesia. And rooms six and seven were the local rooms where they just used uh, lidocaine and you know, did little things with local anesthesia. So I'm in, uh, in the dream. I'm in the se room seven. There's a young girl who is, I think she was 13 years old. <clears throat> and she's on the table. Uh, I'm in charge uh, of, of the instruments. And I've got one pan of instruments in front of me. And I'm like, this is going to be an easy case. This is, you know, we'll be in and out of here from skin to skin. Could be half hour, could be 40 minutes. <clears throat> and then suddenly the door flings open from uh, where things, anyway, the door flings open and 17 more uh, pans of instruments come in. And I'm like, what? What's going on? <clears throat> and the doctors now, oh no, you know, it, it now has become elevated. What, what we thought was a simple operation is now. Uh, a life and death situation. And the kind of surgery that it is, uh, I hadn't done yet. And so I'm there going, okay, uh, help me. What do, I, what do I do? And the doctor's frazzled, the anesthesiologist who's just going to deliver local. He's, they're all frazzled. And suddenly I just realize that if I'm in this room right now, that's a negative thing for this patient. And I'm, I'm smart enough to know there are other people that really ought to be in this spot. So I take my hands, I put them on my head, which can't, contaminates me. Because now I've, I've touched my head, I'm not, I, I'm not sterile anymore, and so I have to be replaced. I have to either go scrub again, or I, I need someone to replace me. And the second I put my hands on my head, it fades away, my dream ends, and I wake up. So I, I go out, and I said, man, I had the weirdest dream. Well, sitting there is someone I've never met before. He's come over, and he's joined us for, for, <clears throat> for lunch and he's, or breakfast, and he's uh, one of the main prophetic people in Kansas City. I said, hi, good to see you. And he, he, he goes, hi, uh, what, what dream are you talking about? So I tell him about the dream, <clears throat> and I, I said, I have no clue what that's about. He goes, I do. Don't you hate that? <laughs> it's my dream. I should know what it's about. But God had this prophetic guy over that day, and he comes over, and he goes, uh, I, I think I know. I said, what's that? He said, I don't know what's going on in your life, but there's about something that you might do, and you think you're going to go in, and you think it's going to be an easy situation. And there's a girl. A lot of times, somebody like that represents certain things, but I think it represents a church. And she's 13 years old. Well, what he didn't know is the church I was going to go to was 13 years old. 
And he said, so there's this girl, represents a church. It's probably a 13-year-old church. And you're about ready to go in. And what you don't know is you're about to step into something that's going to become uh, a whole lot bigger than you thought and more complicated than you thought. <clears throat> and to the point that the only way for you to get out of that situation is a contamination of you, your life, and your family, and you can't have that. I, I, I said, I, you might have heard the Lord. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's something there. <laughs> I said, well, that, that's an easy one for me. I, I, I knew the Lord. I, I knew where we were supposed to go, but I needed that, that kick. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Lovely people that were there. The promise was, you will come, we'll be there between two to three weeks, and then we're moving. So I get back from this trip, and I call them, and they say, hey, I hope this is okay, but my wife and I decided not to move. We're going to work together with you. But no, you're going to be the pastor, and I'll just be there. Well, he's been the pastor for 13 years. He started the church. I'm going to be the pastor with him right there? And then I realized, ah, God, you saved my butt. Can I say that in church? Okay. <laughs> we, we never know what God saves us from. We just, we just don't know. Sometimes it's not just that you're saved, that maybe you actually find God in the dark place, in the waiting, and then when the waiting ends, you don't want to come out. I've been there where I've waited and it's like, okay, God. And then suddenly I find him in that place. There's, a, there's an old movie, not really old for me when I say it's not that old, but for some of you, you'll say it's old, called Stir Crazy. Okay, Richard Pryor and oh, what was his name? Um, Gene Wilder. I love Gene Wilder. And so Gene Wilder, these, these prison guards keep putting him in horrible situations. And so Gene Wilder is, is, is hung up <clears throat> in his cell. And, and they, they leave him there, hung up like this. And, ah, he's in pain. He's got a really bad back. Ah, he's in pain. And finally they come. I don't know how many days later they come and take him down. And he's like, my back, it's healed. Thank you. Thank you. Put me back up. It's great. You know, and, and he's in a place in prison where it's horrible, but at the end of it, he's healed. And then from there, they take, oh, they get so incensed that his back is healed. They take him out and they put him in what's called the hot box. It's this little box like this. He goes in, he's got a crouch, and they put him in there, and it's outside, and it's hot, and it's in the south. <clears throat> and they finally come five days later. They open the thing up, expecting him to be dead. And he lifts his head out, and he goes, excuse me, could I just stay a little longer? He goes, I'm just beginning to find myself. <laughs> I remember seeing that years ago and then equating that to my times of darkness. It's like, God, can I find you in the hot box? I'm just beginning to find you. I didn't know you before. I was running on gifting, not relationship. When we run on gifting, we run afoul. Success can eat you alive, but reproach will keep you alive. Thanks, man. That's $100. John, give him $100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you start clapping. 
give each other a hundred dollars, okay? <laughs> but what happens if you have great success but you don't have a hiddenness? If you don't have a time in the in the quiver, if you don't have your, your caves of Adullam, two quick ones. Solomon, I want you to get the chapters. Listen to the chapters. These are both first kings, okay? First Kings chapter eight. He brings the tabernacle of David into the new temple and dedicates it. Chapter 9, God appears to him with promises. If you will, then I will. You can just read it. 1 Kings 9. Chapter 10, he becomes rich and is sought after because of his great wisdom. Chapter 11, this is one chapter after another. Chapter 11, Solomon turns his heart away from the Lord towards foreign women and foreign gods. He didn't know anything but success. He was never hidden. It's a gift. Now, it, it, it's one thing. Uh, disease is not hiddenness. Disease is a curse. We need to pray against disease. God, God is not the author of disease and illness. And if you ever learned that growing up, that, that, that oh, God sends those things to humble us and, and, and allow us. No, he doesn't. Do they? Yes. Is it, it, it's an outworking of being in a place that's, that's, that's not heavenly. Can we find him? Yes, we can. But he doesn't send them. But we can't find these things in it. But if we think, if we think he sends them, then our attitude in it is different. And we, we kind of feel <clears throat> like we can't pray against something because God sent this horrible situation. No, he didn't. That's not God. King Uzziah. Oh. Second Chronicles 26. Listen to this. But when he became strong. Oh, that's what I loved. Jimmy, when you said this morning, the weak say that they're strong. I, I, that is just one of my... How could the weak say they're strong? When they say they're strong, they're arrogant. They're no longer weak. No, there's a transaction that takes place when someone knows there's, a, there's weakness in them. When they know that they're not God, someone takes over. There's a strength that comes to those that do declare their own weakness of how they are before God. <clears throat> but when he became strong, his heart was lifted up and it became to his destruction. He transpa transpassed against the Lord and... and in this particular, without reading through here, he goes in to the temple and begins to offer sacrifice. He's not supposed to. <clears throat> the the, uh, the priests come to him. Actually, there's a whole lot of priests that come to him. I forgot how many there were. I think there was like 80 priests came. <clears throat> and they withstood him and said, it's not for you to burn incense to the Lord. This is for the priests, the son of Aaron, who was consecrated to burn before uh, incense. Get out of the sanctuary. You have trespassed. God won't honor what you're doing. He becomes furious because he was king and his heart was lifted up. He had a censer in his hand to lift it and to burn incense. And he began to shout. He began angry. And at that moment, leprosy broke out on his forehead. That's... <laughs> Leprosy broke out on his forehead. Oh. And then it began to break out all over his body. 
that's funny. He was a leper until the day of his death. Here's the thing. He was the king. He had access in the temple. He had access before the Lord every day of his life. But when you were a leper in that time, you were sent out and he was never allowed back in the temple. He never was allowed to connect with God in that way that he had. He was buried away. Success will eat you, but reproach will keep you. David said this, Psalm 17, hide me under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 32, you are my hiding place. I just, hiding place. That's the place I go to hide. I voluntarily hide. Those are the two levels. One is God hides you in his quiver. And the other is the maturity of one who knows how to voluntarily hide. That's a step up. If we could voluntarily hide, can you imagine allowing ourselves to be hidden? I think frees the hand of God. I really do. Peter says this, the hidden things are important to the Lord. We think hiddenness, nothing's important. I have had a number of seasons in my life where God just said, I love you, and now no one's going to hear from you for a while. But Lord, no, yeah, I love you. I think hiddenness is a personal season. I want to say one, I, I, I skipped it earlier. I wasn't going to do it because, but I, I want to say this. Hid, what hiddenness is not? Then I'm going to close here. Hiddenness is not detaching yourself from others because of hurt and pain. That's not hiddenness. Okay? That's selfishness. Are there times when I need to come away? Yes, Jesus had his times. But it, it wasn't to detach because of hurt and pain. It was to hide himself to be weak so we can become strong. Hiddenness is not hiding out because of fear. It's not using the things, not, it's, it's, it's not not using what God gave you because you have a spirit of fear. And so you're in the background. You're living in the background of everything and people think that you're hidden. You're not being hidden. You're fearful and you're not dealing with the spirit of fear. It goes after power, love, and soundness of mind. It, it, it removes from you power. And so people live in fear and it appears that they're living a hidden life. They're not. They're not living their life. <clears throat> Lone Ranger Christianity is not hiddenness. If you think that you can do this on your own, away from, from a body. Man, oh man. Church can be so stupid. Is that okay? Next year will be 50 years for me, I gotta say. I have seen some stupid things done. Jesus loves his church. We got a bride-bridegroom thing going on. The sp- at the end of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say come. 
Yeah, he's looking for a mature church, but he's not looking for a perfect church. Therefore, in our imperfection, let me just say this. What hiddenness is not, hiddenness is not staying away from being together because of the imperfection of people around you. Because when you enter a room, the room is now filled with imperfect people. You're one of us. This is not a slam. I lovely people online. This is not a slam. I know. I, I, I've had weeks uh, that I haven't been here. Either I've been aware, I've been sick. I understand that. I know the seasons. I'm not talking about that. But if your reason is, I just dislike the church, so I'm going to stay away. Lone Ranger was a great show, but it didn't last long. Honestly. And there's, there's a lack of of, I think, progressive power in those that are alone and detached. There's a regressing that takes place. We need each other. Oh, please, we need each other. True hiddenness is knowing who you are in God. It's using your gifts and allowing people to see more of God than of you. That's a big one. It's embracing seasons in the shade rather than always needing to be in the light. Some people cannot stop talking because they always want to be heard. I have a dear friend a long ways away from here. We have tried to talk to him for years and years about his inability to stop talking because he, he, he removes all the oxygen in the room. You have nothing left to say. Actually, you don't even have a chance to say. And then anytime someone has a chance to say something, he jumps on it, finds out how it relates to him, and then goes back talking about himself. And you can sit there literally for an hour or two hours and say 10 words, and he's fulfilled in his time with you. And you're dying. And wish someone would pull out an arrow and just shoot it at you. Or him. Sometimes hiddenness is just moments in a day, not a long stretch of time. Sometimes it's just moments in a day where you let others shine and you shut up. Is that okay? I said that in love. Shut up in love. More than embracing, hiddenness is finding God in the prisoner in the cave. And I'll just say this last one. Hiddenness is being the same person no matter the season you're in. If you become the same person, you become a hidden person. If you are always the same, no matter what's going on around you, it means you found a life of hiddenness where darkness doesn't create who you are, neither does being shined in the light because you're hidden in him. As David said, hide me in the shadow of your wings. And that's my prayer. That whether I'm sitting here or I'm somewhere else or I'm at home or I'm having lunch with someone, that there is a sameness of the person of who I am because I found myself outside of what happens to make me, I'm already hidden in him. Do me a favor, just stand for a second. Lord, I just thank you.
I thank you for seasons and times. I mean, we don't, we don't create them, but you do because you see the ends. We don't see the end result. We don't see what we're called to do later on down the line. <clears throat> and so, Lord, you take us on the journey. Thank you for <coughs> bringing a straightness to us like the arrows. That you, you tie us to something that's even straighter so that we can become straight by being close and connected. That's why you want us together. It's in the connection that we're straightened out. Lord, you polished us and you've done great things with us and sometimes we end up in this dark place with others in this dark place. But others who found you there, who realize that they're hidden away for purpose. So Lord, I ask that you would help us become people who find you in those hidden places. When the prophecy hasn't been fulfilled, when the promise of God hasn't taken place, when the promise from a person hasn't happened, where do we direct our anger? Where do we give our, our broken hearts to? Lord, we've all had moments where we do have sickness of heart. But Lord, let us not become the victim of heart sickness. Let us find you. I just want to say this this morning. If, matter of fact, just do, do me a favor. Just put your heads down and keep your eyes closed a second. <clears throat> I know that's a churchy statement, so I'm sorry. But if, if you're here and you're, that fulfillment hasn't come, if, if that dark cave, you're still there, if that word hasn't taken place, if that promise hasn't been fulfilled in your heart and in your life, I just want you to lift your hand for a second. Lift it up. Uh, I just want to... Okay. If you would like someone to pray with you about that, you don't have to. This is something that, as I said, hiddenness really is an invitation to relationship. But if you'd like someone to pray with you concerning that, I want you to start coming forward right now. Those, those that are going to pray, come on forward. I want them to meet you. If you're here, <clears throat> we need some folks to pray. But if, if that, those that raise their hand, do we just want to give you a time to, to come and say, I don't understand. I want some prayer. I want, I want someone to stand with me. That's a good thing. So if that's you this morning, come on forward. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 